Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. You're listening to Puck and Roll. of the Puck and Roll podcast. Today I am joined by the wonderful Patrick Lorty and the mustachioed Joshua Rosa for the 26th episode of this podcast. And boys, we have one massive thing to talk about that is old news in Habsland and in hockey land in general, but we filmed the last episode the night before it happened, which was the Montreal Canadiens winning the 2022 NHL draft lottery and in all likelihood winning the rights to Shane Wright. However, there has been much debate about that on hockey Twitter over the past couple of weeks. And we can obviously jump right into that later on, but for starters, what were your guys' reactions like in the moment to the Habs winning the lottery? I cheered hard. <laughs> I was I was sitting on the couch with my you know like following this on my laptop. My wife was sitting beside me with my kid, and I'm just like, "We got the number one pick!" And my kids looking at me, he's like, "Daddy, are you okay?" I'm like, "Yes, yes, I am." Um, obviously, you know it's a huge deal for Montreal, not, not only because it's the first time in over 40 years that we get the first uh, overall pick, and you know as long as we don't pull another Doug Wickenizer, I think we should be fine. But, um, but I mean, like, it's I, a low I, bar to clear. It's a very low bar to clear. Yeah. But I mean, to be fair, Wickenizer did dominate in the juniors. So it's kind of hard to pass beside it. But anyways, that's not the point. The point is, um, it's a breath of fresh air, you know, after the season that we had and after all the, the turmoil that we've went through and everything to have some good news finally. And I, you know, mea culpa, I thought conspiracy theory was going to be surrounding us and the coyote was... was you were convinced. I was so convinced. Tell- I was. You were, you were spouting this for the last, like, <laughs> six months, being like, oh, they're going to be the worst, but you know it's going to go to Arizona. Okay, and don't... Come on. Okay, don't act if, like you if, knew. If there's, if, <laughs> if there's a conspiracy, it wouldn't be this year. It'd be next draft. Yeah, touche, good sir. Touche. But yeah, I'm, very happy at least we got the first overall. Yeah, I got to watch it with a couple of Leaf fans because I was over at their house watching <laughs> Toronto lose their first round series, unfortunately. So I got to be real happy while they got to be real sad, which was a real mix of emotions. 
I guess I was more shocked. I was starting to buy in with Patrick's crackpot conspiracy theories that oh, there's no way that they're going <laughs> to crackpots. Oh, that is a line, Josh. Ouch. I love that. Ouch. I don't know. I didn't see any ping pong balls to measure how heavy they were or anything like that. There was a YouTube clip actually, and Gary Bettman's reaction it was oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, Montreal. That's interesting. Oh yeah. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, I, I never thought. I mean, they've been terrible this whole year, but like Montreal's had about like five ever first round draft, the first overall draft picks ever, and just. Like the odds, it's just like it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. Oh, it happened. That's great. Let's let's celebrate and pick Shane Wright because he's the obvious pick. I'll say that here. I'll say that now. Let's not worry with any uh, Slovakian wingers or anything. Let's just let's just keep it simple. Keep it right. Haha! I heard the pun there. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I'm in agreement with that. I was also, I think I was less excited than I was surprised just because, not because of any conspiracies like another member of the panel, but purely because, statistically speaking, speaking, it was only a one in four chance. And I was like, look, a third overall pick, we're going to get a great prospect. That's good enough for me, right? Also, third overall pick, I was thinking, would be more interesting leading up to the draft just because of the amount of variables. But now <laughs> we're seeing all of these debates about who's going to go number one. Prove myself wrong in the past because this is getting very interesting, almost too interesting for my liking, because we're seeing a lot of people getting very excited for Yuri Slavkovsky after another dominant, well, during another dominant international tournament. The frustrating thing with that is you always see players spike in individual tournaments. We saw Logan Cooley spike in everyone's minds after the U18s. Now it was, oh, and before that, it was Slavkovsky for the Olympics. Now it's Slavkovsky again for the World Championships, which is like the worst tournament to like, ha- like put much weight in because Slavkovsky had a good game against like France. Who, name one, uh, name like three French players. Antoine Roussel, I, Christophe Lubet. Yeah. <laughs> current, 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 current. Xavier Ouellette. Xavier Ouellette. Xavier Ouellette, Pierre-Edouard Belmar. And, and Antoine Roussel. We're, we're talking about borderline NHL players right now, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and, and those players, aren't. I, I don't think, are on the French team. I have, I'm going to be honest, I've not looked at the roster for France's World Championships team. I know, blasphemy. Um, but it's it's just Slavkovsky's having these great games against teams like France and Kazakhstan just today. When, yeah, anyways, Shane Wright has also just been heavily criticized for what a lot of people are calling a poor playoff performance. And we've seen some people on Twitter really, really bash him uh, for a quote-unquote poor playoff performance where he just played his regular game. And I wrote an article as well on a winning habit about this, of just the conundrum of Shane Wright and why so many Habs fans, upon 
when like perhaps winning the draft lottery got a hold of like basically went and watched Shane Wright play and were like this guy isn't McDavid this guy isn't a game breaking talent because he's not Shane Wright does not play a game that is about taking control of it through speed and dynamism that is not his game at all and because a lot of people are looking at him and are like, he's not standing out among junior competition, they're immediately scratching him off as a bust. When in reality, if you, he's, a, he's a slow burn type of player. You have to watch him quite a bit to really grasp his game, which is one of intelligence and anticipation. And his processing speed is something that I, I don't think has been rivaled by any player in the last three draft classes i think the last player that has a processing speed on par or above shane rice would have been jack hughes he is and, and jack hughes as in new jersey is not as in kent hughes's son of course but he is supremely intelligent and the habs need that kind of intelligence we've seen mark st louis talk in interviews so many times about the importance of anticipating play reading coverage and the layers of coverage upon entering the offensive zone, but pushing back defenses, right? Shane Wright is made for the Montreal Canadiens, even though a lot of people have been saying, oh, the Habs are missing that dynamic centerman. They should go with Logan Cooley, but you don't draft for current organizational need. You can trade for dynamic wingers. Wingers are always more affordable to get on the trade market, and you can get very dynamic wingers if you want to. Kevin Fiala is available this offseason, for instance. If the Habs want to go for that or something, you can go ahead and it's not going to cost you Shane Wright, which is basically my whole argument for drafting Shane Wright at number one. I think the only other reasonable thing to do would be to trade back. If you can, for instance, get picks 6 and 12 from Columbus, that is something I would really, really consider just because I don't think the gap is massive, massive behind Shane Wright, even though I do believe that Shane Wright is the clear guy to go with at number one. So with you two, are there any other things we want to talk about with the draft lottery? If it's uh, like maybe your own opinions on Shane Wright, I'm not sure if you guys have watched much of him, but like, what is your sense of him as a player overall? Well, quite frankly, I'm going to agree with a lot of what you said, Sebastian, about, yeah, you're right. Shane Wright is not a spectacular player by all means. Um, and the last time we had a centerman who was that effective um, without being spectacular, we probably had to go back to the mid-90s and Pierre Turgeon. Turgeon was exactly the same type of player as Shane Wright is. He's responsible. He's a slow burner. Uh, he was never spectacular on the ice, but the guy's a point a game player. You know, there's a reason why he's racked up almost 1,300 points in his in his career, right? And he's done it without being flashy. And it's probably one of one of the reasons why it's take it's taking so long for him to get the actual recognition that he deserves um, out of his career. But I think one of the um, I'm not sure how I feel about trading back. I would, I feel like it might be in a situation where trading forward might actually be a little more beneficial, especially with Calgary uh, now, you know, getting our first, you know, hit their first pick, getting a lower and lower and overall. I mean, if something could happen where we can actually get a package deal where we could ship out 
a salary plus the first round pick to move up a couple of spots. I mean, that would be absolutely golden. And there's so many people that, you know, could be available and could be interesting. Um, you know, but again, but, but I get it. I, th- I think I'm, I'm going to ask a question to both, to both of you, like to Josh and, and to you, Sebastian. I mean, you said, you said that you never draft according to organizational needs, which I agree up to a certain extent, especially in the first round. First round, you pick the best guy available, period. But if we have two first round players, uh, first round picks in our case, we're getting right at number one. That's almost a 99.9% sure deal. But then after that, what do you do? Do you go and get the best player available again? Or do you say, well, listen, we need help on the right side of defense because we got absolutely nobody. Or we have, aside from Primo, we got no one in goaltending. Even Primo is kind of sketchy, even though he's red hot in the AHL right now. So, again, do you get the best player available if you're picking twice in the first round? Or do you go with organizational needs then? I think, in my opinion, it's more of a question of what the team is rather than like a blanket statement of this is what you always do. Like to me, Montreal is still multiple steps away from being a really good contender for the Stanley Cup, which is ultimately oh, for sure. yeah. we want to do. And there's not one area where you can pick it out and say, okay, we need a player here and that will massively improve the team over a, a player in a different position. I think <clears throat> with the way that Montreal is built right now, you just have to get who is best and then just have it all sorted out rather than trying to pick and shift. There is a more well-rounded, um, a more just clear-cut, you have really great forward prospects, then you can really pick out at the D or the goaltending. But like Montreal's defensive prospects are are really good. They're really interesting. But like we've said before, they lack that kind of number one trending defender. Like there, there's a lot of guys that you could say, oh, they'll be top four, but then who's going to be the top pairing? Again, goaltending, we just went through forwards. Like, there's no one place on this team that would massively improve the team over all the other pieces to pick for organizational needs at this time, in my opinion. Yeah, because I think, uh, to be putting it quite bluntly, aside from what, maybe David um, Jerichek and Simon Nemec, there's really no clear-cut defenseman that would really say, okay, we need to take this guy now because, you know, like we have a, a hole. Um, Sebastian, I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm really curious to know what you would think, but if, you know, 29, 30th, you know, uh, is, uh, is up to the podium, regardless of what, uh, where, we, where we pick then, if Ivan Miroshishnetko is available, do you take him? Or do you say, not worth the risk? Because I don't know about you, but I love this kid. Like, he is a train on the ice. He reminds me so much of Alexander Ovechkin. It's ridiculous. But, you know, Hodgkin's lymphoma is a serious disease. It takes time to heal. Uh, he'll 
likely beat it because it's actually a, cur- a curable form of cancer. Mary Lemieux went through the same thing, but you know, Lemieux is Lemieux. Um, do you take him or do you say, nah, forget it. We'll just go with something else at this point. I'd probably pass on, on him only because I like other players more. With him, it's not even a concern about the disease. It's it's just the way he reads the game. He is one of those players who has tremendous tools, but the hockey IQ is really lacking behind, like by quite a bit. He does not pick up reads in the offensive zone well at all. He's a literal non-factor defensively. He can sometimes back check and then do something decent in transition defense, but that's inconsistent at best. But look, his his shot is great. He's a strong skater. And it's also why I currently have him towards the top of my second round, I believe. Yeah, he's at 38 for me right now. But again, he's not being pushed down for the disease. It's, 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 it's mainly just because of the IQ concerns uh, rather than anything else. And IQ, I'm talking about purely on ice. In terms of actual intelligence, we obviously don't know with these players. But in terms of just on ice processing, I, I just have enough concerns that I wouldn't do it. I also do think a team is going to pick him before then. Um, but in terms of what you were talking about earlier with like organizational need, I think Josh really put it well in saying that the Habs are so far away that our organizational needs are going to change just because our current right-handed defenseman prospects are basically limited to Justin Barron and then Logan Mayu, who may never even be signed by the Habs at this rate, who knows? And I'm also not, not too concerned with the right side of defense just because we have left defensemen that can play on the right side. Uh, we've seen Jordan Harris has been doing that almost his entire university career. Uh, same thing with uh, Matthias Norlander. If he makes the NHL, which isn't particularly likely, but if he makes it, he'll be impactful. He's played the right most of the time in Sweden in, in the pros. Uh, so it's not, it's not like the Habs have no depth at right defensemen. I, the thing I would want to do with the Calgary pick the very most would be to bundle it and trade up because I think that one of two of my of the guys I have in my top three are going to be available in the mid-teens in Brad Lambert and um, uh, Frank Nazar. I have uh, Nazar at two right now and Lambert at three. I think there's a chance that both of those are still available at 15. Um, and I would just love to trade up and get one of them purely based on upside. But in terms of sticking at that pick, if you if you want a right-handed defenseman, you're going to have some decent options. Uh, for instance, uh, Owen Pickering, uh, is Pickering a lefty or a righty? He's a left defenseman, damn. Um, in terms of right defenseman, your options are going to be Ty Nelson, who's really slipped off for me. Uh, Seamus Casey's an option there. Uh, same thing with like a lower upside guy, but who's going to make the NHL in Ryan Chesley, though he might be gone at like pick number seven when the Senators pick because they like their big, strong dudes, and he's a big, strong dude. Uh, but I think the re- a really, really interesting name for the Habs, if they are determined to pick right defenseman at that pick, which wouldn't be what I would do, but Matthias Havelid is a guy I'd look at. He... I'm not sure if you guys were able to watch the U18 tournament, uh, but Sweden won it. And Matisse Havelid 
was one of the tournament's top three point getters, I believe, as a defenseman. He scored like five goals as well. Um, he's a very interesting guy because he's a, he's a tremendous skater. He reads the game very well, and he has a very good, good shot. There's a lot of these tools and abilities to work around that make me like him a lot. And I, I think he'd be a very strong pickup for the Habs, even though I do think, even if the Habs stick at like, what, 28, 29, wherever that pick may be, there's going to be a guy in my top, at the very least, my top 13 is going to be available because Lane Hudson, who's at, who I have at 13, is going to be available when the Habs pick. There's no shot he goes in the first round. Uh, but guys like Noah Uslan might be available. I think Pavel Mintyukov might slip because teams could be worried about just his run-and-gun cowboy style of defense, which I love. I think Denton Matejchuk could be available. Uh and these are all high upside guys for me, right? They're all defensemen except for Ostland. And they're very dynamic players that love to carry the puck, uh, are not necessarily the fastest guys, but are supremely agile and just fun to watch. I know and that's I, kind of what I go with. I know you ranked him pretty low because, you know, and we've actually seen a game together where we were kind of like, uh, this is kind of odd, but I mean, Tristan Luneau. I mean, I, 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 got, I, I got this weird feeling that he's the one that the Habs are going to be trying to pick up. I think, you know, unfortunately... We, we both dislike that. I, I know. know you don't like him much either. I mean, I, I respect what he's done. I mean, the, 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 the scouting report says different from what we've seen, and I'm guessing we, we must have missed something. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I don't feel like we missed anything. I think what, what scouts like a lot about him is that he's a strong skater. That he, I mean, I know that both of us wouldn't be the biggest fans of a Luno selection. And what I think that scouts really see in him that I just don't value that much is that he's a very good skater and that he's a solid defenseman in the QMJHL. I just don't think that being a solid defenseman in the QMJHL means very much because defensemen on average are bad and looking solid in relation to them does not mean very much and yeah his, his tracking in the defensive zone i think is problem problematic i don't think he has much of any of an offensive ceiling he can be a decent playmaker from the blue line but he really steps up into the offensive zone to really have an impact that way i just don't see any upside with him i think if he hits he's maybe a number five defenseman and that just isn't an upside that i like very much or would value with a second-round selection, let alone the first-round one. So I think that we covered that part now. And I think what we should now look at, because I was mentioning this earlier with the World Championships, is that we have some Habs players at the World Championships. There is Yuval Armia for Finland, who has been very, very, very good, uh, putting up quite a few points with that team, scoring some very nice goals and demonstrating an ability that hasn't really been portrayed for most of the season and pat i know that you looked into this and you have a bit of an understanding as to why this might be happening now so i'll leave the floor to you to talk about armia well yeah i wrote about it on a winning habit as a matter of fact and um i mean it's not it's nothing groundbreaking but i mean armia has has struggled all season long i mean he was one of the rare names that didn't thrive under uh martin saint louis new style or 
you know, concept, like we like to say. Um, but Armia went through uh, what was apparently a rather stressful and borderline difficult uh, time because of his wife was pregnant uh, with, you know, with the first child and being someone that, you know, is a parent of a toddler. It's very, still fresh in my mind that, yes, it is a very stressful time. But, um, and then the, the, the second he went home, which is the reason why he left, because they, when he left the team at the end of the season for family reasons, he left because, you know, his wife was giving birth. Everything went fine. Everything's great. Now he's happy. He's relieved. He's smiling again. And he is kicking ass right now in the in the world in the world championship and you know i don't know if it's because of the number 10 that he's wearing that's giving him some extra wings and everything but like yeah he's he's playing like he's supposed to play so i don't know if it's a factor of the big ice that he's playing or you know or just because he's on cloud nine right now because you know of his own kid but the real yoel armia finally stood up and if he could bring that passion back to montreal at training camp and really, really give it his all, then finally that contract is going to be worth it. If not, then it's just going to be another rough season for him where he's going to be flop, flip-flopping between the third and fourth line and even playing left wing where he's absolutely not comfortable no matter how many times you try it. So, I mean, I'm happy to see that he's doing great and hopefully it's going to translate to success for next season, for sure. And speaking of the bigger ice surface, Josh Anderson has never looked better than he has at this world championship. Jesus. This yeah. man is using his speed and he, he looks like a legitimate top six forward. And that is not something I've really been able to say recently purely because of consistency with, with him. And Josh, I know that, that, that you're a big fan of Josh Anderson at his best, but also get frustrated with Josh Anderson at his worst. So let me talk a bit about him as a player. Yeah, I mean, at his best, Josh Anderson's like Connor just unbelievable. And then at his worst, he could be like, I don't know, Brandon Prust, where he can make a big hit, but that's kind of about it. Um, unfortunately, the international ice surface, I think, really plays into Josh Anderson's strengths as a player. And it's not something that necessarily translates well into the NHL, which is the larger ice surface. Like the international, it's not a huge difference, but it's definitely very noticeable. And Josh Anderson can be a guy, especially on the rush, that really benefits from a huge amount of open ice. Cause once he gets his skates underneath him, you are not stop no one's stopping him. You're he's just gonna barrel right through you and then he's gonna take it to the net. And he's probably going to either miss the net or get too close to shoot, get a proper shot off. But um, otherwise, he does great. And he can be like a spark plug if he gets going. And he's been going this, this tournament. But as far as translating it into the NHL, it's tough to see. I mean, I think he's a very solid middle six word for Montreal like he's playing top line role just because he's the best suited for it on the team right now next to Caulfield and Suzuki but really he should be down on the second and third line where he can really strive unfortunately I just don't 
see this sort of consistency and domination translating into the NHL. Like, I think we're kind of see what he is. He's going to be dominant one night and he's going to be invisible the other night. And unfortunately, we're just going to have to live with it. I, I can live with it as a Habs fan watching him. I think when he's on, he's good enough that even when he's off, you, you can see he's trying. He's he tries to do something, gets things done. Unlike... Yeah, but power forwards are notoriously streaky, no matter who it is. It could be Josh oh, Anderson, exactly. or it could be John DeClaire, for crying out loud. They are all streaky. They're going to score 20 goals in a week, and the next thing you know, they'll be cold for, for, for three months. So it's just it's how it is. <laughs> it's how they are, yeah. And I think that's how he's going to be next year. I think that's how he's going to be the rest of his career he had that one fantastic season in Columbus and I doubt he's gonna top it unless something really crazy happens but never say never hopefully he can learn how to shoot when he gets to the front of the net because that's the most frustrating thing to watch in the world yeah it it really is honestly and I think the last player from the World Championships that we should probably mention is a player that hasn't actually been signed by the Habs yet, despite being in their system. And that is Sean Farrell, who is one of my absolute favorite prospects on the team because of his sheer upside and skill and playmaking ability and the shot he miraculously gained after, like, in a year following his draft. And he's really picked off where he left off with Team USA after the Olympics, where he was technically the leading scorer on that team when playing 10 minutes a night, even though like five of his six points came one game against China, but we don't have to focus on that. He was statistically still the top scorer, and we're going to just take that as a victory. Uh, But he had two assists a couple nights ago uh, in the World Championships in 19 minutes played. He's getting that ice time because he's outperforming some NHL players. And that is something that that I find very exciting because I really, I believe in this kid so much. I believe that he's going to be a future top six player for the Habs, but I'm also higher on him than most people are. And I was kind of think, I wanted to ask your guys' reads on Sean Farrell because he's not a guy that we really talked too much about during the season. We didn't talk about him as much because he didn't have that giant season that he had in the USHL, right? I mean, that what he what he did in his last season with the Chicago Steel was just incredible, you know, like his 101-point season and everything. Um, I mean, what he did, however, had a very respectable season with Harvard, um, you know, which is never an, an easy level to play with, to play with. But, I mean, the fact that he's really stepped it up for USA – uh, already having six points in four games and everything just speaks volumes on the fact that, hey, you know, you might be 5'9 and 170 pounds soaking wet and everything. You know, the kid can play, you know, and I, and I do believe and I do strongly believe, though, that uh, he has he's developed he's developing a sort of a drive, so to speak, ever since that his explosive season with the Chicago Steel and he'll he'll, he'll get signed at some point, uh, whether that translates into NHL success remains to be seen. Uh, he'll definitely get some big minutes if he ever, you know, starts off with the, with Laval and whatnot is in the, in the AHL. But again, I mean, he is 20 years old, so it's, it's going to be one of those things that we can like, all right, kid, now you really need to 
see like show us that you could you could actually play at an elite level but i think he's really showing us some good glimpses because he's playing against men he's playing against any chillers out there right now and he doesn't look bad so i mean yeah i th- I, th- I honestly think that he will get a contract sooner rather than later probably start in laval but i mean with a guy like him you never know he's so versatile on the ice at the same time that it could just translate in any fashion Yeah, much like he's kind of slipped through the cracks in this podcast, he's kind of slipped through the crack in my own personal watching. I mean, it's impossible to ignore him, and he has the Cole Caulfield stamp of approval on Twitter, which is nice. But, I mean, he's definitely someone to keep your eye on, especially if you're like me as surprised a Montreal fan who had enjoys watching skilled small forwards do their work which is basically all we've had for the past i don't even know how long uh is i'm hoping for good things but again i haven't actually seen too too much of him to to safely comment but i mean 28 points in games in harvard is nothing to shake a stick at at all yeah, exactly. I, I just, I'm a really big fan of him. Beyond just the skill, he's one of the most like tenacious and hardworking guys on the ice, which is always commendable. I mean, we've talked at length about a lot of players in the first round, and I've looked through your rankings, and this is always the hardest thing to look at, but there are no goaltenders at all on your list. And I mean, yeah. it is impossible to really figure out because I mean, Primo was taken in the seventh round and then he's this new savior of the franchise and now he's uh, he's going to be in the NHL someday. But are there any, like, are there any goalies that have caught your eye watching all these prospect stuff? And how hard is it to try to analyze a goalie's worth in the draft and where they're going to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to really have any understanding about scouting goaltenders because it's a completely different ballgame from scouting skaters. Like, all the things I'm normally looking for is, like, hockey IQ, how they replay, how they carry the puck, uh, what they scan for. It's, none of that translates to goalies. And... Okay, the, the thing that I, I find nice for this draft is that the consensus is that there is no particularly good goalie prospect available, at least not at this age. Of course, you're going to see a decent goalie come out of the draft, but they are just not a refined prospect as of now. Um, I think the only two goalies that I've even like noticed in a positive light <laughs> in scouting this season uh, would be uh, Reed Dick. Uh, which is an A-plus name. And, of course, you know when it's an A-plus name, it's a WHL player. Uh, he has looked decently good uh, playing for Canada. Um, he was playing at the U18s, and he was solid. Uh, he did very... He was the player that, like, just shocked everyone at, like, the CHL prospects game by just stopping everything. Uh, so he's an interesting one for that. I've watched him play as well for Swift Current, but he hasn't blown me away with his WHL play. And the other one is someone that I've only watched at the U18, so I can't really say too much because 
I something I've been saying a lot recently is that tournaments are completely overrated in terms of actually scouting prospects and that they shouldn't have the value they have in the scouting community. But the guy I was impressed with at the U18s was Hugo Havilid, who was the twin brother of Matthias Havilid, who I was talking about earlier. He is a goalie that I, I, I was just a big fan of his athleticism and kind of in that like Peter Morazic mold of goalie of like he just launches himself from side to side and is very entertaining to watch. I don't, again, it, goalies are tough and I, I, I can't, I have not learned how to scout them just yet, but I think if I were to draft a goalie in this year's draft, it would probably be Hugo Havilid. So any other questions for you guys or anything in particular that stands out on the list, or if you have just a very random question about it? I'll throw one out. Um, I mean, we're always talking about the top picks in the draft. I have a feeling that Montreal is going to go pretty offensive in the early parts, first rounds, probably into the second round. And I know you don't draft for need, but if you draft like two or three forwards in a row, you want to throw out a defender or goalie. So like late second, early third round, who are you going for a defender at that point? In in that range, the guy that I would adore to get would be Lane Hudson. The chances of Lane Hudson making the NHL aren't great. <laughs> He is a home run. He's the definition of a home run swing. There are a lot of issues in this game. Like the, the thing that I always come back to while watching him play that just pains me is his pivoting. His pivots are the worst I've seen from any prospect in this draft class. Like he's not a terrible skater, but his pivots, like he gets turned at the offensive blue line. Like if he turns over the puck, like he's, he's lost. Like he does not know how to turn around at his, that is painful. However, his offensive ceiling, I think, is superb. He's one of the, the shiftiest, most elusive players in, well, defensemen in the draft, which is, I think, also a big part of, like, well, a big strength that he uses with his very, very small size. And he's tiny. He's, like, he's under 150 pounds. He's very, very small. But I am in love with his playmaking ability. I think he is a superb playmaker on defense. And if the Habs are able to turn him into a even subpar NHL like like defenseman in his own zone, he is like the exact type of guy that you want playing third line minutes, oh third third pairing minutes, uh, and then putting on your first power play unit and just letting giving him the reins to do that. And he's tremendous on the power play. Same thing with giving him offensive zone draws. He's the guy that, that you want to put there in the offensive zone draws, kind of like how uh, Eric Gustafson was used during last year's playoff run of just like, like shelter him defensively when like, well, throughout the game, especially against good teams, but harness the offensive ability because I think it could become elite. And if you can get that at the end of the second round and it hits, that's awesome. If you miss with a late second round pick, that's kind of the average, right? Like you, when, once you hit the late second round, early third round, the majority of players chosen don't make the NHL, at least not in a long-term capacity. So 
those are the type the type of swings that I would love to see. Uh, another defenseman I think that would is kind of the pure opposite of uh, Lane Hudson and is a guy that I, I know Patrick is going to want to talk about a bit too when I mention him, and that is Noah Warren. He is one of our favorites here to watch. He is okay. Lane Hudson is a tiny offensive defenseman with little defensive ability. Noah Warren is a massive defensive defenseman with little offensive ability. They are opposites, but I appreciate both their games purely because of how excellent they are in what they are. Right. I think, I think a lot of people like, like scouts, uh, especially people that are newer getting into it, including myself, even at the beginning of the season, get too hemmed into like wanting specific archetypes of players, right? Like needing like a particular type of player, be it like dynamic or quick or a good shooter or whatever it may be. And in the end, what you want is a variety of players within your lineup, right? Because you need people that, that can complement each other. And in the end, you want players that are good at what they do. And both Lane Hudson and Noah Warren are good at what they do. I definitely think that Noah Warren is a far safer bet of making the NHL, that his ceiling is lower, but his, that his floor is way higher than Lane Hudson's. And they are kind of opposites in that regard, but they are both very, very good at what they do at the junior level. And for Noah Warren, that is defending. He is a very intelligent defender. He knows when to throw his body around. When he does, it is devastating as well, but he's not the type of guy that chases hits and I really appreciate his game. So those would probably be the two defensemen that are likely going to be available in that range. Again, there's always a chance that like Noah Warren goes in the first round because the team loves his size. Whereas Lane Hudson, I think he should definitely go higher than that slot. But I think a lot of teams are going to be scared off by the lack of size and physicality and the pivots, man. Like... Whenever I watch him play, I just think of uh, that, that scene of Ross and Friends of pivot. Not sure if you guys have watched Friends, but like I just see Lane Hudson thinking that and screaming that in his mind and failing miserably, just like they did in the show. Uh, and it's kind of painful to watch, but his, the rest of his game is really fun. And yeah, I, I appreciate both those guys a lot. I would uh, wholeheartedly agree, especially on the reward, of course. Uh, but I do want to, um, if you don't mind, Sebastian, I want to twist things ar- uh, around a little bit because there Please are... Please do. Oh, my. Alrighty then, sir. There are two players that sort of stood up for me this season in the QMJHL. Uh, they're not draft eligible because they're actually 20-plus players. Um, and one of them in particular continues to surprise me in, in not, not just because he hasn't been drafted, but because all of a sudden he got a hundred point season, but you know, you could, you know, anyone, including your grandmother can score 50 goals in the queue. Um, but one of them is Josh Lawrence from the St. John Sea Dogs. You know, he just got a, a 101 point season and it gives me such incredible vibes of Jamie Langenbrunner, you know, or even Yeri Lettinen back from back in the days, you know, those elite, or even okay, you know what? In a more modern twist, because I'm showing my age once again, are to like You know, it gives me the exact same tech kind of vibes, but extremely responsible defensively, he can pitch in offensively and, and whatnot, and he's incredible in covering lanes and corners and everything. My question to you is, is why do players like him or even um Patrick Gay from the Charlottetown Islanders, who's 
who beat all kinds of records offensively, like franchise records, because he scored, uh, I believe, 55 goals last season. Why do these players constantly get overlooked? Is it just because it's the offensive stats are so often bloated? Or is there some sort of, you know, factor in their skills that makes it that, you know what, you might be amazing in the juniors, but that's where you're going to plateau. And there's really nothing left to improve on at an NHL level. Yeah, I think the QMJHL is the league where teams rightfully have the most concerns with guys that just put up big points, especially when they're over 20 years old. And in the end, you really just have to delve into the players themselves and how they play the game rather than the points that they put up. Like, I I have concerns about Joshua Hua's game, especially because of his rough skating mechanics i'm still not convinced that he'll be able to pull off what he does with limited space right and if those things don't work the entire game won't translate to the nhl at least not the game in its current form and i'm gonna be honest uh lawrence i've not watched at all at least i've not focused on him right like you're saying he played for he plays for saint john right Whenever I've watched St. John play, I've mainly been looking at uh, Peter Reynolds, who's their first-line centerman, and I am a big fan of his defensive ability. Um, and when, so whenever I watch that team, mainly because of just how terrible of an organization it is, I only focus on uh, Peter Reynolds. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you guys understood how bad that team was. Well, the organization rather than the team with the whole stories of Joshua as well last season of exactly, just yeah. how, how poorly they treat their players. But um, so I, I can't, I can't talk about that, but I, what I can talk about is more just the, the more general sense of QMJHL guys. And I think the one like, like double overager that I would really look at in drafting this year is Miguel Tourigny. I know Patrick will be familiar with him, uh, because he's a 30-goal-scoring defenseman. <laughs> and uh, yeah. that always catches an eye. Um, and he's he's just really fun to watch. And he's been fun to watch his entire QMJHL career. I thought he deserved to be drafted in his draft year. I thought he deserved to be drafted last year. And I still think he deserves to get drafted. I don't think he's a likely bet to make the NHL. But he has the offensive skills, uh, despite being an undersized defenseman, to hit if he does turn into an NHL player. And especially if you have, if you have a, a seventh round pick, why not take a flyer on a guy that could have top four upside, right? Like oh, at that se- point, six and seven round picks for them, even fifth that matter. It's, it's so much fun because you could literally just, it's take a a dart. you could just take a dart, shoot it on the wall and being like, yes, he's our franchise player, you know, exactly. <laughs> just have fun right. with it. And so I, I would look more at Tourigny than I would at like at, at gay, for instance, purely because I've seen more, aspects in this game that i think could turn into elite skill sets right and in the end a, a player like Aitouini, the reason he's fallen through the through the draft twice now is because he's a flawed player he's undersized he struggles under physical pressure especially in the defensive zone when being pressured on puck recoveries uh, i don't think his defensive game is particularly good he misses reads quite often right like if he were an undersized defenseman but was elite offensively, he would have been drafted already, but he hasn't, right? However, I think he has some qualities that could become really high-end, and that's kind of why 
I like him so much and why I think he deserves a pick, especially like in his last year of draft eligibility, he deserves a team to just give him a shot. And yeah, so especially for like QMJHL guys, it can be tough. But yeah, and I, I think that might almost conclude this episode because we've kind of come full circle now, starting with the draft, ending with the draft, and starting with the first overall selection and ending with the seventh round pick selection. So it's a kind of a nice little circle that we drew here with this episode. And yeah, so I very much hope to film another one of these, or record another one of these next week. Oh, eventually and... we should film though. I, th- I think we're going to, you're going to tran- translate this show into uh, videos and get everyone to look at our ugly mugs and being like, this is us. And then, and then people could actually know what exactly, Josh, exactly. We could actually finally show off your, your, your fantastic Pat Burns mustache. I'm going to have to comb <laughs> it before every episode now. You know, we're oh actually, we're actually going to have to groom, dude. You know? <laughs> Pat, Pat, your entire goal here is just, just to expose me for the baby face I am amongst you two guys. Yeah, but you're like already you got, all over got, YouTube, so everybody knows your baby fun, your baby face mug. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, See, no! But like, you, it's more just the contrast. Like, if it's if it's just me among like normal people, it's fine. But when it's among two oh, normally normal individuals, people. though, oh normal, Josh had to. We're nor- we're normies, right? Shave it off. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm trying. I'm trying to bring the bar down just to make myself feel better here. So, oh my, <laughs> age and genetics have nothing to do with this, right? <laughs> no, of course, <laughs> no, no. It's not like I'm by far the youngest on the panel, and just probably don't have the facial hair genes that you guys have, which are spectacular. And yeah, but I still have a full <laughs> head of hair, so I can dunk on one of our panelists for that, which is fun that's low so yeah yeah, yeah. oh oh yeah oh yeah I had to go there yeah <laughs> hey guys dude, this, Anyways, was, this was a really fun episode i also wanted just to give a little uh, fist bump to our friend sebastian who by the way is recording this episode all the way from germany as he's touring europe and he's up at two, what, two, in, two in the morning for this guys so you know what i'm gonna give you props uh. man, for actually being up and doing this so yeah, th- thank you uh, for, uh, for 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 continuing your hosting duties, my friend. <laughs> my pleasure, and I think that is definitely the lighthearted note we want to leave this on, because I mean it's also a hopeful time for Habs fans. We have the first overall pick, and there's a lot to be excited for. So until next week, everyone, and thanks again, Josh and Pat, for this episode. No worries.
some light Lost as these cages that storm breaks loose Just help to make it We still wanna do $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.